Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Doug Show. It's Doug Cunnington here. And in this episode, we're going to talk about ROI a little bit. And the some of the main points I'm going to try and make are around considering the potential ROI for services specifically uh, versus like trying to save money and cutting corners and getting the cheapest services that you could possibly get. So that's the general topic. I'm going to branch out, probably give a couple of examples and let you know why I even thought about talking about this. So I hope you're doing well out there. If today is your first episode of The Doug Show, welcome. I appreciate you uh, checking it out. I encourage you to look at some of the other episodes, actually listen to some of the other episodes. I talk a lot about affiliate marketing and some other topics related to affiliate marketing. I talk to digital nomads every now and then. So I I try and hit a wide range of topics. A lot of times I'll go off on a tangent, even in interviews and affiliate marketing related topics, I will end up talking about something completely different. And in interviews, anything goes. I mean, I am all over the place. Additionally, there are some travel topics and just lifestyle sort of topics baked in there as well. So do have a look around. And if you if you see a title that sounds interesting, give it a listen. I do appreciate it. And if you like it, subscribe. That would be awesome. And uh, before I go into the topic today, I'm going to do a little of the banter section here and just give people an update on uh, my reach recent purchase of a Chromebook. So you may remember that I, I bought a Chromebook in preparation for some heavy travel and I'm going to be doing coming up in actually just a few weeks from when I'm recording this right now. But my primary laptop is a MacBook. I think it was like a 2014 MacBook. And I typically, I've been using Macs probably for about 10 plus years. Before that, I was kind of a, uh, I would like build my own uh, PCs and stuff like that. I like doing that sort of thing. It was fun. And I like, you know, building the laptop or not the laptop, but building the the tower, ordering the tower, like getting all the parts and, you know, just building the whole thing, saving some money, you know, like talking about ROI and spending and all that stuff. And eventually I was like, you know what, I'm going to try a Mac. I know a lot of my friends use Macs and they seem happy with it. So I made the switch and then I just kept um, with the MacBooks. Basically I got a couple iMacs along the way. Um, they actually hold their value pretty well. Uh, I think probably a lot of people know that if you've looked for a used Mac, you can sell them. So I'd use a Mac for a few years, sell it, and then buy another, another one, usually refurbished, you know, you can save a little money on that. And I haven't had any issues with a free, uh, refurbished model of a MacBook. So anyway, I'm going to be traveling some, uh, this summer, I'm actually going to be taking it off for like the most part like work-wise. However, I know I need to be, you know, on top of email and just checking things just in case uh, like a website goes down or students need specific help and I'm the only one that can get them help, that sort of thing. So I just wanted to be able to like send some emails and do some light work. Again, I do like technology as I was alluding to before. And I was like, you know what? I haven't uh, looked at these Chromebooks in a few years and I know when they first came out, I was like, ah, I'm not going to really going to, 
I'm not going to be able to do anything with those because I thought I needed to do like heavy computing for some reason. Now, I do some heavy computing occasionally, right? When I am doing audio editing, like this podcast, for example, or potentially like video editing that is a lot more intensive and you kind of need some, you know, some powerful machine to do the video rendering or it's going to take a very long time. Anyway, the point is I wasn't going to be doing any of that stuff. I didn't necessarily want to bring my MacBook. If I lost that, it would be a lot more expensive to replace or if something happened to it, if it broke or whatever, then it would be a bigger deal. And I basically didn't want to do much work. So I got a couple uh, Amazon gift cards and I was thinking, ah, I could buy something that I don't really need. These were gifts and I can buy something that I wouldn't normally purchase with my own money. So I found this Chromebook. Uh, the specific one I'm taking a look at uh, is an Asus. I think it's a, you know what? I don't remember the model number, but it's one of the, it's one of the smaller versions. I think it's, I think I have an 11.3 inch or 11.4 inch screen and it's not particularly powerful. There's not much memory. I think it's four gigs of memory and it does what I need it to do. I'm I'm usually working in Chrome most of the time. So I figured, Hey, this thing's going to work. Okay. I just need to send some emails and maybe log into some WordPress dashboards, pretty light computing. So anyway, I was very excited. I ordered it. And um, as I was using it the first couple of days, I realized that the the two key, whenever I pressed the two key, it would like uh, go back in the browser, which kind of screwed up uh, like everything I was trying to do because I would type in a two or type in my email address, right? Two, if you press shift, that's the at sign. So whenever I put in my email address, I would like go back in the browser. So anyway, it was a warranty issue. I sent it in. I got it back a couple of weeks later. Everything's working fine. That's the update. Everything's working fine. And I've used it um, here and there just instead of like, like bringing my whole, my whole setup, my Mac to like a coffee shop or to the co-working spot. I will just bring the Chromebook and then it sort of forces me to do like either writing or sending emails. Like I can't do any, like, like I said, heavy computing, like video editing or whatever. So, and I try not to do too much of that anyway. So the whole point is I have enjoyed the Chromebook and after some time, like using it, I was thinking whenever I get an, like when I have to replace my MacBook, I may just get a nicer Chromebook because it does most of the things that I need it to do and the things that maybe it doesn't do as good of a job on. I don't really want to be doing that. Like I really don't want to do video editing and full disclosure. I don't really edit the podcast episodes very much. At most I'm putting in an intro and an outro and it's pretty straightforward. In fact, when I'm recording as I am this episode right now, I'm using a Zoom H4n recorder with a microphone and headphones, and I'm recording it right on an SD card in my closet here. And I don't edit these at all. I just do some uh, mastering using a service called Auphonic, and then it's that's it. I, I don't do any editing. So it's kind of nice. I can hit pause. I could edit these, but unless I 
make a huge mistake, I'm not going to edit them, which is nice. It's freeing. And as an aside, I promise I'll get to the topic, but as an aside, basically when I'm in the closet and I'm recording on this Zoom H4n, I tend to not make as many mistakes and I speak better than if I'm over on my Mac. And I don't know if it's because of the interface or like me knowing that if I'm recording in GarageBand, it's a lot easier for me to edit. But when I'm working on this, I know it's going to be a pain for me to edit and I don't want to do it. So maybe, maybe I make more mistakes, but I just push through and I don't worry about it. So um, that's another topic for another day. Maybe in the next episode, I'll mention something about it or an upcoming episode. I'll talk about sort of my philosophy on why I'm doing this the way I'm doing it. You may notice there's no like announcer or intro or anything like that. And I have reasons for that, by the way. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, do send me an email feedback at doug.show. By the way, you can ask questions give me ideas for shows at that email account, or you actually can leave a voicemail. So I won't read it out here. I don't remember the number, but it's in the show notes. So you can leave a message. You could ask questions, stuff like that. Okay. We're going to get into it now. So the root of what I want to talk about today is around like making an investment and actually like getting an ROI And thinking about being frugal, but being practical about it. So the reason why I wanted to do this show is I was featuring a company called Content Refined, and I worked with them on a case study. If you're interested, you could find the episode on that. Um, It's around increasing traffic by 13% in four weeks. So you should be able to find that. And it was a great case study in my opinion. Now, the thing is someone left a comment on the YouTube version of this case study and they said, wow, that sounds really expensive. It sounds like you're paying over $100 for 500 to 1000 words. And that just sounds really expensive to me. Of course, that is not all the work that was done. And it's not just hey, you get 500 words or you get 1,000 words. There's a lot more to it than that. But the real problem, the real reason that person is not going to be successful, at least with that sort of frame of mind, is they were looking at the raw cost of what the investment was, right? And I'm using investment as the term very intentionally, but like I'm paying for a service, right? I'm paying for a service. And the important part is not how much the service cost, but what I get out of it. What value did the service provide? And if you're just trying to like spend the smallest amount of money possible, then you're greatly limited in many ways. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of caveats in in a few minutes here, but the point is if I invested $1,000, but I knew that over time, I'm just going to make up some timeline here, but over three months or over six months, I invest $1,000. If I know that I'm going to make the $1,000 back in the first three months, and then from three months to, you know, 12 months and beyond, it's just going to be positive ROI and I'm going to be making money from that investment. It's probably a good idea. Again, those are just totally made up 
values and timelines. But essentially, if you can invest some money and you're feeling pretty confident about the ROI that you're going to get from it, then it makes sense to do it, even if it's $1,000 or very expensive or fill in the blank, right? Whatever service it is, there's some relevant amount and you can probably figure out, hey, is this going to be like positive ROI or like not? Now, sometimes you don't know. So let's get into some of the, the caveats here. So I do want to mention if you don't have the budget and you're, you're thinking to yourself, Doug, I would invest, but I don't have it. That is cool. I understand. I was, I mean, I'm fighting the urge. Like I, I like to save money. I grew up, you know, wanting to save money and being frugal and, you know, the value of work and like that sort of thing. Right. So I, I definitely don't want to waste money. However, I, I want to be very, very clear here. Like if you can't afford something and you have to go into debt to pay for the service and you feel like the ROI could be positive, don't do it. Don't go into debt to to uh, like invest in things, right? Pay for stuff that you can afford. And my suggestion is what I did, right? Because it's a low risk way to do this without like going into debt and it allows you to basically reinvest. So I know most people are in the position that I was in before where I had a corporate job. I did have a little extra money to invest and I invested a small amount, maybe a little bit more than I had to, but a small amount in the normal things that you would expect. Hosting, maybe a premium theme, maybe a, a couple tools or plugins, and perhaps some services to help me out with writing, for example, because writing is a very time-consuming thing and you know, content is very important for an affiliate site or many other sites online. So I made whatever investment was, you know, modest yet, uh, you know, was putting some money on the table. Once my site and site started making money, then I simply reinvested some of the profits into the services that I thought would be valuable. And luckily, after you're you know putting in some sweat equity as well as a little capital at the beginning, you know more about what's going to work. You have more knowledge. You see what is actually working based on results from your actual website. So you can feel pretty confident investing in certain areas. So if you can get your site off the ground, put in the time for things that you can do on your own, maybe get a couple services. Sometimes you have to pay for a tool, right? Like for keyword research or something, you would have to pay for some tool, most likely. And then from there, you can, uh, you know, invest the profits. So fairly simple concept. And I want to extend this, right? Partially, I mean, I sell a course. So partially my framing is around that. However, I want to tell you about some of the courses that I've taken. And when I first started, I think like this was probably late 2013, maybe early 2014. I took, uh, it was like an SEO course put out by, um, I think it was Diggy and Glenn Alsop. So they're still around doing, doing some stuff, you know, and I took a, like an SEO course 
from way back then. And I remember like being nervous to like buy the course, but they seemed pretty legit. And I read a lot of their material and I was like, Hey, these guys seem pretty good. I'm going to, I'm going to buy the course. It was a hundred dollars. And I was like, wow, this is a lot to, to buy. This is a, an expensive course to me, just, you know, a hundred dollars, which now I'm, when I'm about to tell you how much I started spending on courses, you will probably be like a oh, hundred bucks. That's not crazy. So the hundred dollars was a stretch for me when I got it. However, I, I went through the course, I implemented the stuff and it worked really well, um, for what I was trying to do. Unfortunately, there was some gray hat stuff in there and, uh, eventually my site got penalized, but it worked in the short term, which is, you know, I learned a lot in the process. So anyway, uh, moving forward, I didn't buy another course for a couple years. I'm trying to think it must've been three, four years. And, you know, I would see some of them come out and then I would see the price and I'm like, man, oh, $300. That's pretty expensive. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if this course is exactly right, but seems like it's good. And then I realized it wasn't like $300 total. It was like $300 a month for a year. So I was like, man, that's crazy. I, I can't imagine paying that much for a course. Funny enough, that course that I'm telling you about, um, I don't think you can get it anymore, but it was put out by Social Triggers, Derek Halpern. And I was like, oh man, that's just so expensive. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to get it. And that was probably 20, 2014, right? So fast forward to 2016, I actually bought a course on courses, which the course that I created is Five Figure Niche Site, and it was out of that course on courses, funny enough, put out by Social Triggers. And I I was like, this is a huge investment, but it was like the right timing for me because I was thinking about courses and I knew that I, I, I was interested in like doing it the right way. And I actually enrolled in the course and yeah, it was about 4,000 bucks. Um, I was making payments for a year, right? So they give you a payment plan option. And if you, if you, if you know my course, right? Five figure niche site, you probably see that I have a payment plan as well. I, I shaped a lot of it based on what I learned in that course called seven figure courses, right? So even the name has a similar like implication or similar uh, format, uh, is five-figure niche site. So you see, I got a ton of inspiration from Derek Halpern. So that said, um, there's a couple things that, that came out of that. So number one, it was very expensive, but I was like, you know what? It's going to cost a certain amount of money. And as long as I can make more money in the long run than what the course costs, then I should be okay. And if I can learn something, along the way, that may even be more valuable than like the actual monetary gain from whatever I do in the course and earn money from it. Right. So when you look at it that way, I was like, oh, this is like a no brainer. It makes sense for me to get this course. And sure enough, I haven't shared, um, like numbers about my course or anything, However, I'm, I'm thinking about it. So if you're actually interested in hearing more about that, I do have a couple concepts where I'm like, oh, I think people would be interested in hearing about uh, like the six-figure funnel that I've created over the past few years. And uh, if you are interested, do shoot me an email and let me know because I could do probably like five, six episodes on just that. So anyway, one of the other 
byproducts of investing in a course, especially for me, is that I did every single piece of work, every every item, like any any assignment that I that I received in the course, I completed and there were office hour sessions like every week for, I think it was like uh, maybe like six weeks, four weeks, I don't remember. And I went to every single session, I asked a question or more in every single session. And I got, definitely, I got my money's worth out of the course. Derek like would know my name, right? I don't know, it's been a few years. I think he would still recognize my name. But uh, yeah, I talked to Derek a few times and was able to ask questions directly. Again, I shaped, shaped my course based on like what that course was set up as. I mean, obviously it was a course on courses, so it's a little bit um, recursive. It's a little bit meta, but like I enjoyed the format and it worked for me. And like I said, there's some psychological thing going on with you know making the investment because a lot of this stuff, honestly, I knew as I was going through the course, but I didn't like write it down. I didn't do everything, even though I knew the material uh, or a lot of the material, I just didn't do the work. So the course and paying for it forced me to go through it. So I, I can get off that soapbox partially, but I will tell you after I did that and it worked so well, then I was very much a believer in like high priced premium courses and like the value that you can get from them. Basically, if you could like save time, save money or effort, um, a course or a tool can be really valuable for you. So within like the next year, I think I bought a course from, I will teach you to be rich from meet Sati on, on like copywriting. And I think I bought another one from him. Maybe actually it was on evergreen funnels talking about like you know, six figure funnel and stuff like that. So I was like thinking, Hey, I need to figure out how to do this evergreen stuff. I don't know the best practices. And again, that was another course where I was like, okay, like I know the main moving pieces. I mean, the fact is if you want to know like how to do an evergreen funnel, then you can go to the companies that provide the services for an evergreen funnel. And usually their training is pretty good, but I kind of needed it to be like, cut through all the bullshit. And that's what Ramit's courses, not all of them, but a lot of them are like pretty quick hitter kind of courses where it's not going to be like a, you know, 14 hours of video or anything. It's like an hour and a half of video. There's some couple worksheets and then they just tell you what's working for them and what they found that didn't work. So anyway, those premium courses ended up being like super awesome for me. I took another one from Derek as well on like social skills, storytelling, and that sort of thing. So again, just being able to like understand that it will pay off at the end, the investment will pay off. Now, they won't always pay off perhaps, but you can get a pretty good idea as you get more experience. So going back to the main point here, um, the person that left the comment was just like, man, that sounds so expensive. I can't imagine why you would pay that much. And they totally missed the point. They missed the point that it was like going to make more money. They were just looking at the raw amount of money. So I encourage you, um, actually in to give the person a little 
not necessarily credit, but to recognize that they're not unique in thinking that. I can tell you, as I've gone through the last few years on YouTube specifically, I would mention, hey, I'm paying, you know, 20 bucks for 1,000 words. And then someone will pop up in the comments and like, oh, that's too expensive. I can get 2,000 words for $8. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, it must be terrible. (laughs) Like the content must be terrible. Like there's no way that you're getting good content for that price. And if you are, then I don't know what kind of magic you're doing or what kind of like slave labor is happening, but like that's bananas. It makes no sense. And like inevitably, as I talk about prices and how much I pay for stuff, and by the way, it wouldn't even matter if I said, you know, I pay 50 bucks or a hundred or the 20, or if I was like, I pay $10, someone would come up. I mean, they could be full of shit, right? I mean, it's, it's YouTube. These are trolls out there. And um, yeah, people are just like, oh, I'm paying this this tiny, tiny amount or I, I get all my articles from Fiverr and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, I just audited someone's site and I was like, hey, things generally look good. Uh, where are you getting your content though? This is garbage. Like it's words, but there's so many mistakes and like there's no credibility. It sounds like the person doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about at all. Like, where did you get the content? And sure enough, they got it from Fiverr. By the way, you can get good stuff from probably any service, Fiverr included. Um, but if you're paying the bottom dollar, right? So a lot of Fiverr, uh, like freelancers, uh, I'm not sure what you call them. A lot of the contractors over on Fiverr do have ways you can get like higher quality. <laughs> you can like pay more and you can get better stuff, right? You can get like legit quality from Fiverr, but you you can't pay the $5, right? You got to pay a little bit more. So anyway, the whole point here today is be sure like you're you're looking at the whole picture here, right? It's not about the one transaction. It's not about like, hey, how much is this 500 to 1,000 words going to cost me? It's like, is the 500 or 1,000 words actually going to bring in money in the long run? Like, is it is this a revenue generating like exercise? If so, like, can we quantify it? Can we make some assumptions that maybe are going to hold up, right? You're going to, I mean, if you make assumptions, it's not going to be exactly right. But if you're like publishing more content that is high quality, that's targeting the right keywords, that's probably good. That's probably better to do than not doing it. And by the way, the whole case study, right? So if the person who left the comment was like, hey, you know what? I think that's too much. I'm going to do it on my own. Great. Like do it on your own. But the, the, I guess, sort of hard part in the specific example is the level in which um, the work was done by content refined was so much of a, like the level was way better than I could do. I I didn't even have access to the data that they were able to access because they're using a very expensive tool. So like in that case, just having them access the data from the tool was worth it. Even if they didn't write anything for me, they did though. So anyway, always look at the ROI, have an understanding of that. Don't look at just the cost. It could be a little bit misleading if you only consider the cost. So thank you for listening. And if it's your your first time around, like I said, do have a look at some of the other episodes. And if you are intrigued, have a listen. 
It'd be awesome if you subscribed. And if you're completely new, check out Niche Site Project. You could sign up for my email list and I send templates for like all the kind of work and things that I do. So it should be very helpful if you're trying to get started or you want to scale your, you know, affiliate marketing business. So everybody have a great day and we'll catch you on the next Doug show. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.